You are now listening to 103.5 The Culture Swine. I'm Ethan, and with me is Starboy Austin. What's up, everybody? It's Starboy coming back at you with another episode of The Culture Swine Podcast. I'm going to hand things back to Ethan. And of course, our lonely star, Matthew. Yo. Yo, 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 yo. That was a very good intro, Matt. I applaud you. Now, before we dive into the world of The weekend. We want to sit here and cover the latest news. As of February 1st, Tom Brady officially announced today that he is retiring from the NFL. This is after 22 notorious seasons with the NFL. I, for one, am happy that he is finally stepping down and letting other people take the spotlight. I find him to be an egomaniac. Um, like There's such a problem with Tom Brady being an egomaniac. That's the pot calling the kettle black. Well, considering he's very open about it, I just uh, so I can't. are I, you? You literally brag about being okay, an but I'm also not a millionaire, so I'm just a small town boy living in a lonely world. So just because he's rich, it's a bad thing. But because you're brokeish or like not on the super rich end, it's okay. Yes, that's because I'm not as popular. That's the wrong way to view it through that lens, buddy. That's all I'm gonna say. You know, for once, I'm going to agree with Austin on this. Wow, for once. It's okay. I have my likes. I have, I have my likes. I have my dislikes. It's just like uh, Matt doesn't like The weekend. All I'm so. saying is that if Matt agrees with me, you got a bad fucking take. I just don't like Tom Brady. I just, I really have a hatred for him. Like, I will admit, Brady has an arm on him, and he really knows how to play the game. You just don't win six Super Bowls. I mean, you cannot like the man, but he has to command respect. Now, Matt, I have a question for you. Who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl? I don't know, because I've never seen any of these teams make it this far. My bet would probably be, be the Cincinnati Bengals, considering the last time they were at a Super Bowl was back in the 80s. And they made it this far, so they've got to have a one hell of a team on them. You know, I think I am going to go with the Rams here. Uh, they just have a lot betting on them from everything that I've heard. But at the same time, I don't really care about either team. Just for the heck of it, I'm going to call the Rams. I think I'm going to call Bengals. The Bengals have honestly been terrific this season. And a lot of my friends and I got really big into sports betting. I don't actually bet any money. I'm too scared to do that personally. All of my friends have been betting on the Cincinnati Bengals. And they've won more often than not. They are so confident they are going to win in the Super Bowl. But especially after last year, I mean, anything could happen. In other news, Post Malone has finally given us an update on his personal life. He's been pretty quiet for the most part, disappearing onto his apocalypse doomsday bunker in Montana. He moved out of L.A. for his mental health, and I get it. L.A. is a superficial town, especially if you're of celebrity status, so getting away from that really can put things into perspective, and it's very obvious that the change has affected him positively. He's gained some weight back but not and i don't mean to say that in a negative way but he looks healthier he looks like he isn't stressed anymore because i remember just before the pandemic a lot of people were concerned about post because he was acting a little bit erratic on stage at some of his concerts and people were absolutely afraid that it was going to be another mac miller type situation because that had just happened so recently I actually heard that he uh, is working on a new album. He said it's going to be shorter than his other ones, but it's going to be more personal. Like people will actually be able to relate and feel the feelings that he's been feeling the past couple of years. So I'm actually very excited to hear that. Me too. And I remember when he came out with White Iverson. I remember when he blew up with that. And I 
was instantly in his camp but you know back then that was the only song he had that was worth noting and people were like oh look at this guy he's not gonna make it but stoning came out it was generally well received i really liked that album yeah i do uh, beer bogs and bentley's was a terrific follow-up mm-hmm. hollywood's bleeding had some great songs but as an album i didn't really care for it but the ozzy osbourne collab was astounding yes <laughs> And gaming news, PlayStation actually acquired Bungie for $3.6 billion. Now, Bungie, if you guys remember, is the studio that created the original Halo games, the good ones. They also create um, Destiny. Uh, They just announced today that the new DLC that they're coming out with, over 1 million people have already pre-ordered it. And it's funny because people say that Destiny 2 is a dead game, but the numbers kind of beg to differ. So wrapping that up, let's dive into the groove here. So starting with the original trilogy, which consists of House of Balloons, Thursday, and Echoes of Silence. They all came out within a span of almost one year. They all came out in 2011, starting with House of Balloons in March, and then ending with Echoes of Silence in December of that year. House of Balloons, I actually, um, I love this mixtape. I think of the three, it's the best one. Specifically, I love the songs High for This, House of Balloons, and then Wicked Games. Oh, I remember listening to Wicked Games for the first time and just falling absolutely in love with this artist. I was gravitated to the weekend when he dropped House of Balloons. I was, I don't remember exactly who I heard it from. I think I just heard it from a few friends when I was in middle school, but House of Balloons in 2011 was absolutely revolutionary for that time. Now, one song I actually think is kind of slept on from that mixtape is The Knowing. The Knowing? Yeah, it's the last song on the mixtape. And I just think, like, everyone, you know, talks about the House of Balloons, Wicked Games, and stuff like that. But I think people really sleep on The Knowing. I agree. I personally prefer Loft music, though. I have to say Wicked Games is my favorite on House of Balloons. By far. I know that that's the cheap answer, but it's the best answer. Well, there's, to me, with something like that, especially when it's a mixtape, you know, it's an artist starting out, I don't think it's cliche or stupid to say that the song that made it was the best one because it made it for a specific reason. Yeah, and you can make that argument with any type of artist because ultimately it's not necessarily an album that blows up an artist. It's a particular song that blows them up. Yeah, and then afterwards he released Thursday. Thursday, I wasn't a massive fan of, but I still enjoyed listening to it. Uh, Lonely Star, Life of the Party. Um, I actually like The Birds Part 1 and 2. Those are all kind of like notable in my book from that mixtape. I was going to say, I like The Birds. That is a good song, but Thursday is a mixtape. It doesn't just, it doesn't hit the way that House of Balloons does. I do like Lonely Star. I like Thursday, the title track. Yes. Apparently, everybody seems to like Heaven or Las Vegas. I mean, it's good. I just don't care for it. I know. I wasn't all hot about it like some people are. Where do you go from with after House of Balloons as far as mixtapes go? Because House of Balloons hit silver as an official certification. So, you know, to start off so strong with something like House of Balloons, you know, Thursday in comparison to that was kind of almost a letdown. It was still enjoyable, and you got that sweet taste that you got from House of Balloons, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the full cake. It was a small sliver of it. 
And then there's the forgotten victim, Echoes of Silence. Echoes of Silence is slept on. Of the three, it's my second favorite. I just, it was so close to House of Balloons in my book. So I actually really like Dee Dee or Dirty Diana as what it, what it really is. I love that song. I love the EXO slash the host. And of course, the title track. Oh, and same old song. Love the crap out of same old song. Oh, absolutely. Juicy J on any track is always going to be a certified hood classic. I mean, that man is one part of 3-6 Mafia. Yeah, because, you know, you always hear people talking about Thursday or House of Balloons. No one talks about Echoes of Silence, and it kind of disappoints me because it was a way, it was a nice way to round off his beginning trilogy, you know? Like, we know that this artist loves to do trilogies as we are now a part of one. But to kick it off strong was by doing something different from other artists was, it was nice, you know, it was a nice refreshing taste in the world of music. Well, it wasn't necessarily just that, but we hadn't seen any sort of significant R&B artists that were actually true to that craft since, you know, basically the early 2000s, late 90s, and The Weeknd brought a very unique sound to R&B. It was very sex-driven, it was very overt, but the music is very slow, it's very drawn out, but it's always magnificent. It, you always feel like it could be orchestrated. Well, and you know, with some songs that really deal with sexual activity, you know, sometimes you can start to feel a little weirded out, like, ah, oh, they're getting a little too explicit. But for me, it wasn't like down your throat. It was actually kind of soothing. Like, you know, I could listen to this. I could listen to it another time and so on and so forth. It wasn't bombarded in your face with all that. Fair. I just don't listen to the trilogy very often because a lot of it is very sex-driven and... I don't have a problem with it, but the thing is, is I can't listen to that every day. And personally, I can't have sex with music playing at all. It makes me feel like I'm in a movie scene. <laughs> I can like totally it makes get it, that. It makes it feel completely artificial from like what the whole point of it is supposed to be. Yeah, so, you know, with the trilogy, I would say my top two songs I always listen to regardless are Wicked Games and Same Old Song. Those ones, I have no problem throwing those into one of my daily playlists. I have to agree with you on that, too. Personally, as far as ranking the trilogy from my favorite to least favorite, I would say House of Balloon, Echoes of Silence, and Thursday. House of Balloons is the classic. Everybody knows it. Mm -hmm. Echoes of Silence, I agree with you, is absolutely slept on. Thursday, I love the color palette on the cover art, but that's the thing I like the most about the record. It just doesn't hit me the same way yeah i probably out of a scale of 10 i'd give it a six i would have to agree i would give it a strong six mm -hmm. if we were ranking them solo the scores would be a lot different but as a trio it's not his best work no definitely not but for starting out it was great absolutely matt i want your hot take on the trilogy i know you listen to a few songs from there and it's completely different than what i know you normally listen to but what did you think of it just a little FYI, viewers, I don't really care for The weekend. I've heard his music. I've actually given it an honest listen. I just never really... It's like Ethan said, it's not my vibe. I agree for a debut. It was bold to do like a debut trilogy back to back to back. Within a year, most artists release one and then they let it sit, see how it does. But with him, he just went all in. I also want to point out that he actually, on Thursday, he had Drake on that mixtape. He had Drake on the zone. It reminds me how much I do not miss old Drake. 
at yes. all. <laughs> I know everybody clowns on Drake all the time, and I do personally. I only like one or two of his songs at this point. I've really outgrown it, but new Drake is much more listenable than old Drake. I can agree with that. So now, moving from the original trilogy, September 10th of 2013, he released Kissland, which really the only stats that we know about is that it did hit gold twice. It was the first official studio album from him under his own record label with Republic. Kissland is one of those albums that you either you hate it or you love it. I'm on the hate it side, unfortunately. Now, that being said, it does have good songs such as Tears in the Rain, which I will cover later because I have a whole thing about that linking to another song in a later album. I'm super stoked to tell you guys about it. But I don't know, just after the trilogy, Kissland did not hit with me like the trilogy did. I agree. Kissland was not as creative as the trilogy that he had released prior Staged isn't the word to describe it, but it feels like a first studio album. It's awkward, it's all over the place, it's trying its best to be very appealing. It doesn't hit with me, and I have to agree with you. I have never liked Kissland. Well, you know, I think at this point he was just trying to live up to what the trilogy was, and it really fell short of it. Well, a lot of artists have that sort of problem because they release a spectacular project. Maybe it sells well, maybe it's only revered by critics. But when you make a number one album, you can't go higher than number one. Where do you go? Right, right. Now, Matt, I know I sent you a few songs to listen to from this album. What did you think of it? Tears in the Rain is very trance-inducing. I know, right? You feel that heavy emotion. It's a song about... These two people being in a relationship, the main character obviously being The weekend, he just drives himself so far from that relationship when she is still emotionally attached to the point where he just lets go. And now that he's let go, he realized that she was the one that got away and he knows that he can't take her back because, as he says in the song, no one will love you like she did. Uh, it's, it's about it. Tears in the Rain is very trance-inducing. Kissland, the song? Eh. I will agree, the song is eh, but that whole album is just eh, so. I have yet to meet a person that has a positive opinion about Kissland. I've seen some people on TikTok talk about Kissland, and they said, oh, you know, it's so much better than Dawn FM. I'm like, sit down, not even remotely close. Your opinion is wrong. We're entitled to our own opinions, but just like, I don't, I don't know. I just, I think of all the albums that he has released, including the mixtapes, I just would skip Kissland entirely. I agree. But the next album he released was what really made him big. But first, we need to rate Kisslin. <laughs> I'm getting a heavy three, light four out of ten. I don't know that I could rate Kissland. I don't love it. I don't hate it. It's just very bland, so I would have to give it a four. I feel like that's an appropriate score because I don't hate it, but I, I don't like any of the songs on there, say for Tears in the Rain. Matt, what would you rank it? If, if you had the base off the songs you heard... Two. Two? Okay, okay. We can get jiggy with that. We can get jiggy with that. So next we had Beauty Behind the Madness, which released August 28th of 2015. It was number one on Billboard 200 with 412,000 album equivalent units, which, you know, they take into account streaming platforms and stuff like that. 326,000 copies within its first week alone. His first number one album of all time and four songs of that album became hits. I remember when those songs were rolling out onto the radio. 
And it was just like, oh my gosh, a few, uh, like the hills even made Vine. I know I'm kind of aging it here, but uh, the hills hit Vine as a very popular sound. You know what? I'm just going to come out and say it. I don't like the hills. What? It's I okay. Don't... It's a catchy song, and I can I can definitely sing along to it. But in comparison to some of the other songs, yes, I can totally get that. It's so boring. Also, the reason I don't like the hills is obviously, like you said, it was everywhere. Everybody was making memes about it. But I'm so sick of seeing the face boosted memes of it. It's like we get it. The song is a really good 808. Now, I will say, I think one of the songs that are on that album that kind of doesn't get talked about enough is actually Dark Times. I know it seems kind of cringe to say Dark Times because it has Ed Sheeran on it, but I actually genuinely enjoy that song. I don't care for Dark Times. I'm on the opposite side of that camp. I gotta say, the hits on this album are really what make it as strong as it is. Okay, but what about what about the song Often? Oh, I do like that song. I, I, I love I would, that song. I would argue that it's a hit. It has one of the most streams on it. Okay, well, yeah, it's a hit, but uh, I'm talking... Well, sorry, when I say hits, I'm talking about in terms of what hit the radio. Fair enough. Often... <laughs> often, often is a little too explicit for that. <laughs> well, here's why I think it's funny. We, um, we, we won't allow songs like Often, but we will allow songs like Can't Feel My Face or In The Night, which is songs about strippers hookers and cocaine and yet we'll let that hit the radio any day of the week ethan it's like you skipped over the 70s and the 80s and the 60s and the 90s oh no I'm, i'm not like disowning that fact i just think it's hysterical that we allow that kind of stuff to hit the radio but then you have songs like often like no it's too explicit i mean that's true it is too explicit because if you didn't know any better, you would just think that Can't Feel My Face is just a really cool song about being in love with somebody, but it's like Pusha T says, if you know, you know. Personally, my favorite songs off of Beauty Behind the Madness are In the Night, Can't Feel My Face, obviously, and I really like Acquainted. I liked Prisoner. That was his first collab with Lana Del Rey, and it worked wonderfully. It was a great way to close out an album, I will say. Matt, what's your take? You see, this is where I'm going to disagree with Austin. The hills, the memes, the vines. I like the song, but of course, and again, I like a good 808. I like a good bass. And I don't think it's really cringy to say that you like Dark Times just because Ed Sheeran is on it. Because, like you said earlier, everyone can have their own opinions. That's Um, true, but my complaint about it is that the vibes do not match. When I think of sexy... I promise you, I do not think of Ed Sheeran. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah. When you put it in terms of that, I can totally agree with it. Um, It definitely feels a little off in comparison to the rest of the album because you start off with a song like Real Life, which I love, and then you end with a song like Angel. I love that song. That was a way to close an album. If there's one thing The Weeknd could do, it's close an album. All of the closing tracks on the albums are wonderful. I 100% agree. Now, if I had to rank this album out of 10, I'm going to compare it to like what I've heard at the time. Because, you know, this was a massive step up from Kissland. And the numbers prove it 100%. I would probably give this strong 6, light 7 out of 10. I was going to say that, actually. I was going to say a light 7. Yeah, it was a phenomenal album, especially after something like Kissland. It was top-notch, but then you look at it in comparison to the rest of his works, and you're like, you know, it's not the best, but I will sit down and listen to that album again. 
it is also significantly more accessible as well because most of the songs on all of the older records are much longer. They're five minutes, six minutes, nine minutes. You get to Beauty Behind the Madness and every album from there has significantly shorter durations. You mean every song? Yes. Matt, what would you rank it? I mean, I would probably rank it like a five. Are you serious? I mean, like I said, I don't like The Weeknd, but I am going to say this from listening to The Weeknd all in all. Austin, you're going to appreciate this comment. If I were to get super high, The Weeknd would probably be what I listen to because his songs are just so trance-inducing. On November 25th, 2016, we actually had the strongest album to date, Starboy, which debuted at number one on Billboard 200 with 348,000 album equivalent units, 209,000 album sales, 175.2 million on-demand streams, and it became the third largest debut sales week of 2016. It was definitely a cinematic experience compared to the albums released before it, and Starboy is definitely one of my favorite weekend albums for that exact reason. It's grand, it's the weekend on the top of the mountain detailing his experiences there. Absolutely epic. And it's honestly, if you think about it, it's his first album of all of them to start to tell a story. It's an autobiography. The title suggests as much. Now, I will say, this is an album I cannot skip any songs on. Party Monster, Rocking, Secrets, or even Lonely Night. A Lonely Night, ooh, I start grooving. Die For You, possibly the best song on that record. I was about to say, Ethan, you know me, and you know how much I love that song. Oh, I do. Starboy is an album that simply does not have any skips whatsoever. It's 18 tracks, but it's only an hour and eight minutes, and it's very listenable. Bookending the record were the collaborations with Daft Punk, and you can really hear the musical genius and the creativity ooze out of the speakers. I've listened to this album multiple times within the past couple weeks uh, as I prepared for this episode, and it's just like, it brings me back to when the album first came out. Now, here's what's funny. I did not like The Weeknd's hair prior to Starboy's release, and then he cut it all off and made the Starboy music video. I'm like, now this weekend is sexy. This weekend is hot. I don't know. I thought last weekend was a lot more fun. I see the track list as kind of a descent down from a mountain, but finishing off into a valley, if that makes sense. The title track is first. It's all about how he's a star, how he's the man. The track list goes on, and slowly you see his life get affected more and more by the fame and the drugs, and the women around him, and it eventually starts to detail the problems that he has in his relationships, and towards the middle of the record, he gets more introspective, and he thinks about where he came from, and he he remembers what got him to the top of the mountain where he is, and by the end of the album, he's found somebody new, and he's ready to take another chance again. Now, here's my thing. You know, The Weeknd posted a couple weeks after he released Dawn FM that we're in a trilogy. Now, would Starboy be the start of that trilogy, you think? Or it's not part of the trilogy? Because, you know, we'll get more into it later. But when I sit there and I listen to Starboy After Hours and Dawn FM, I can see Starboy being the start of that trilogy, but it can also not be a part of it. 
I disagree. Starboy came out in 2016, and After Hours came out in 2020. I doubt that this was planned from the get-go, especially because there was a quick EP thrown in between there. Okay, yep, I do remember that, which is actually what we'll talk about next. But first, Matt, what are your thoughts? I'm an I'm an internet gremlin, so I know the song Starboy from all the memes and shit. I will admit, Starboy can be a bop, but it's also has to do with the fact that it's so catchy. Starboy was probably the only song on that entire album that I actually kind of liked. Really, you didn't like um, Die for You? Really? That's a terrific I mean, song. I'd have to go back and listen to Die For You again, but Starboy is the one that sticks out to me the most when I when I, when I look at that album. I know I sent you Starboy. Uh, Party Monster, Rockin', A Lonely Night, Die For You, and I oh, Feel It Coming. You didn't like A Lonely Night? You didn't like A Lonely Night? That actually kind of hurts my feeling. I hope you redeem yourself. We need to sit down and we need to rank Starboy before we continue on. I would give Starboy, I would say a strong 8 out of 10. I would give Starboy a solid nine. It's one of my favorite records of the weekend. There's not a single bad song on it. I can't explain why I like that record so much. I, I just do. I get it. I get it. The songs themselves are just perfect. It resonates with me. The songs are just, they're giant. They're big. Mm-hmm. Matt, what would you rate it? <sighs> Probably solid five, maybe kind of five and a half. You serious? Mainly for the song Starboy. Starboy, believe it or not, was the first song by The Weeknd that I knew was by The Weeknd. Okay. Because of the internet and because of all the memes. Starboy came out when I was still in high school. So, and I had a very small high school, but some of my classmates were just singing Starboy constantly. Moving on to Ethan's current mood after Matt's dissing of his favorite song on Starboy is My Dear Melancholy, which came out a couple years afterward. It's only an EP, it's seven tracks long, and it's at a tight 25 minutes, but it is one of the best recent R&B breakup albums I have heard. Like you said, it doesn't have a lot of songs on it, but it still slaps. It was mainly to kind of process his breakup with Selena Gomez because... They had a very intense relationship. Then they just suddenly broke up. Call Out My Name fills all the tea. It does. It does. You have Abel out here basically crying out in public saying, Bitch, I was going to donate my kidney to you and you just do this to me? I also love how he ended the album with his acapella of that song. Like, all in all, like, you know, some people say that they can skip this and that they prefer Kissland over this, but I actually prefer this over Kissland, and I don't think I would skip this mainly because it's short, but it also has very strong songs on it for as short as it is. I don't listen to My Dear Melancholy very often, though, because it's a breakup album, and that doesn't really reflect my mood in life, so Mm -hmm. it doesn't really sit with me because it doesn't apply to me. Maybe I'm just not that sad. All right, so Austin, what would you rate this? I would rank My Dear Melancholy as a strong 7 light 8. The songs are good, and the EP is concise and the idea is there, but it doesn't have the X factor that makes the Weeknd's album so good, but that's also because it's not an album itself. It's just a very quick EP. I agree with you 100% on everything you just said. Now, these next two albums we're going to dive pretty deep into as they are the most recent and part of the most recent trilogy that The Weeknd has released. Starting with my 
absolute favorite album of his after hours which released march 20th of 2020 so it was another album that debuted number one with 444,000 album equivalent units 275 album sales that week alone the biggest first week sales of 2020 which you know sometimes doesn't say much because the world of music was very quiet then then you have something like blinding lights that came off of it which is the largest and longest charting hit on billboard's play history with over 5,410,644,400 listens between streaming and radio plays that is mad impressive it's mainly because of the timing of the album march 20th 2020 that was right as lockdown was happening that is true and a single from one of the biggest artists in the world that's incredibly listenable but it also takes off as a beat you start seeing nurses in hospitals doing the dance to blinding lights and it just had everybody in a chokehold that also probably has to do with the fact that he did the halftime show for that super bowl didn't he that wasn't until 2021. Yeah, but it was the Super Bowl. Um, after it was pandemic, Bowl, yeah. After pandemic, and it was that was his newest album that dropped. So Blinding Lights was one of the songs that he performed, and that was when it really exploded, which probably drived all these listens because people who watched the Super Bowl might not know who he is, probably went online and did the research, and I'm like, oh, shit, this guy's pretty good. At that point, I don't know how you wouldn't know a weekend song, but I, I well, do understand where you're coming from. Like yeah, everyone's I mean, father who listens to ACDC, Kiss, and all that, but watches Super Bowl religious, watches uh, the football religiously. Yeah, but they don't make up the bulk of the weekend's audience. The song was already fairly big by the time he was performing it at the Super Bowl. I think at that That's point, it was he... already number one. That's why he got to perform at the Super Bowl was because he had the biggest album of the year. Which, my ad, that Super Bowl uh, performance was one of the best in years. I agree, because most of the performances in recent years just completely fell flat on their face. But, man, the week had really redeemed what the Super Bowl halftime show could be. Ethan, I want you to get into this album because I know this is your favorite weekend album and you really want to sink your teeth into this. Now, I am partial to this album because I do own the Blood Splattered Limited Edition version of it on vinyl. But the sound of this album on vinyl hits so different than what you hear with your ears through earbuds when you listen to it digitally. So the album starts off strong with Alone Again, which on vinyl is so mesmerizing. And it was it was a strong way to start off an album as strong as After Hours. I mean, the story that After Hours tells... It's phenomenal. I mean, okay, so when the album came out, I was not in the good headspace as many people were. And the vibe that it gave, it gave this dark, heavy vibe. And I just grew attached to it to the point where I was even listening to it in 2021. And granted, it's still to still do to this day. It's similar to Starboy in the way that it's a guy, The Weeknd, who came from nothing. He talks about that in his song, Snow Child. And he became something, but still had a missing piece to him. Uh, he wanted love and attention from women, uh, but he also grew attached to the lifestyle of L.A. And to the point where he started to do drugs and it started to drive him crazy. Ultimately, in the end of the album, he killed himself in Until I Bleed Out. But um, I would have to say the turn point of this album, where you start to see the manic side of him come out, is blinding lights leading up to that is that story of how he came from nothing and now is something 
and how he's had terrible relationships with women, always had all these issues with them that he can, he always gets attached and then loses them as he starts to go into his cocaine and spiel phase where he just is very hyperactive, is high all the time, being reckless, self-destructive, which is exactly every emotion that is hit in this album. And then you had that moment in Escape from L.A. where he realizes what's going on and he wants to get out. He wants to find a way out, but he gets sucked back into the lifestyle of L.A. with Heartless. And then it starts to it's just a wrong decline for him after that. Now, I want to talk about Save Your Tears. Are you going to tie this all together finally? You know, I have spent the past two years trying to tie Tears in the Rain with Save Your Tears. Now, let me tell you why. When I first heard Save Your Tears, you know, you got the new, 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 which is actually uh, sampled from Everything She Wants by Wham. But, you know, something about it sounded somewhat familiar. Wasn't this wasn't really the same tone, definitely not the same speed. It was slowed down, but something about it hit. And then I listened to the story that's telling. You know, it's talking about Abel wanting to win this woman back that he's so let go years prior and that he's, he's telling her, save your tears for another day. I am here and I am here only for you. Granted, there was a few other songs like this, but what was one prominent song where he let himself go in a relationship and pushed her away knowing that she could have been the one? Tears in the Rain. So I spent years trying to find some sort of connection that this was the sister song. This was the continuation of Tears in the Rain. And just this morning, I had a light bulb. I'm like, wait, I think I found it. I turned into Charlie Day for a moment, got all my papers up, started giving some crazy faces to people as they walked by, and I, I figured it out. So if you listen to um, Tears in the Rain, you know it starts with like... Is it mainly just because the storylines of the songs are tied together? That That's a big one, but listen to this. This is what pieced it together finally. So you got that intro, and then you hear on the piano, na, 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 which if you listen is the notes go up, down, up, down, up, right? If you listen to Tears in the Rain, it does the same exact thing. It's just slightly more drawn out, almost at the same exact pitch. Granted, the one note that remains the same on Tears in the Rain is just now one continuous note instead of it being two different strokes. So I'm like, okay, that could be it. But at the same time, it's sampled. So I'm like, let me go listen to the sample song. I listened to it. And at the beginning, you know, they have bongos that have the same exact rhythm as the piano in Tears in the Rain. The same exact rhythm, up, down, up, down, up. And it has the same hit, the same beat between the two songs. And I sat there, I'm like, there's no way. This was the connector. Like, who would think out of all the songs in the world to sample everything she wants by Wham, unless you want those diehard fans to sit there and listen and piece it together. Like, no, this is the sister song. And I want you to know that, but I want you to look for it. Ethan's about to get a job working for Dissect Podcast. I said it here first, and no one else has really talked about it on the podcast, but that, to me, that the missing piece to that puzzle that I've been so longing to find. I have to say, I love After Hours, too. I was re-listening to it a few times over the last week just to get a really good feel for it, and I see why you love this album so much. Personally, 
it's so hard to rank it because it's such a standalone project. It kind of reminds me of Currents by Tame Impala in the sense that it's the quintessential album. Yes, it's the one that you have to listen to. I agree. If I was going to turn someone on to The weekend for the first time, I would absolutely have them listen to After Hours. This is that album. And, you know, that's what, like, that's why I sent so many songs from After Hours to Matt. I mean, just the story it tells, you know? It's, like, it's very detailed in its story, and it wants you to know what's going on. He wants you to know the hardships that he's been dealing with over the past years ever since he became famous. Granted, you know, some of this stuff is exaggerated, such as him dying, or he's, you know, saying it like, oh, you know, I have uh, I've died inside. A piece of me has died inside. Until I Bleed Out is a short song, but it's very melodic. I agree. I can't really listen to that song most of the time, so by the time After Hours finishes, I pretty much stop it. I will say, when I think of a song that is manic, a manic state song, I think of After Hours. Listen to the beat and just how, like, you have that emotion going through you, surging through you, and now you're becoming reckless, you know? I mean, in his music video, you saw it too, starting with Blinding Lights, where he starts to go crazy. And in After Hours, you see him racing through the streets in this very expensive car as he's just losing it. You know, when I think of that, I think of the song After Hours. I want to correct what you were saying a little bit earlier, though, because you were saying how he got pulled back in and got manic at Blinding Lights. But I would disagree. I would have to say that Heartless is really where it starts to take shape. Because for the first half of the album... He's trying to deal with the fallout of a failed relationship, once again reflecting and reevaluating who he is as a person, and then you have Heartless where he gets sucked back in. Think about the most iconic lyric off of that track. I never need a bitch, I'm what a bitch need. True, true. That's all that needs to be said as far as that goes. I do like the transition from Faith into Blinding Lights, though. Yes, I do, too. He is very good with his song transitions. He actually does a few on Don FM that I really like. He he does it a lot on After Hours and Don FM. Mm -hmm. He was kind of doing it on Starboy, but not really. But After Hours, is it's really where he starts to use the old school ideas of music and how an album should be made and how it should sound. Now, one thing I am going to do is when you guys are finished listening to this episode, if you scroll down, if you're on Spotify, I'm going to put a poll on here. Do you agree with me or do you disagree with me that Tears in the Rain and Save Your Tears are sister songs and therefore connected? That being said, we need to rank this album. I am going to rank it a 10 out of 10. I will listen to this any day of the week. It's been two years since it's released. I am still listening to it. I absolutely just, I love After Hours. It gets me in such a deep mood. Personally, a strong nine. It's a terrific album. I love listening to it. I, it's just not my favorite. I, I get that. I can get that. So Matt, of what you heard of After Hours, I sent, I sent you a good chunk of After Hours. I put them in order just because, you know, After Hours does tell a story. So based off what you heard, what would you rate it? You're going to shoot me for this one, but probably like a four. You serious? <laughs> I'm stabbed. Just, I gotta know why. I gotta know why. Just because Blinding Lights is so overdone. I don't know. It, it just didn't hit to me. 
but yeah. you know he kills himself at the end of after hours and yeah. then it transitions into dawn fm his newest project which still has yet to release on vinyl as it was almost announced last second because you know on this album you have people like jim carrey quincy jones tyler the creator and um little wayne oh. all featured on this album but you know dawn fm was started off phenomenal with obviously the self-titled track which half of it was this angelic singing as we are passing through our lives here on earth and going into purgatory you have these angelic voices of abel in the in the background singers as then jim carrey cuts in i don't know that the track starts i just get ready for the trip if there's one thing I love about this album, it's Jim Carrey's voice tracking. It Dude, is, it's perfectly done. The, the best part is in all of the promos that he had, granted there were just a few, in the promos that he had for this album, it said featuring Jim Carrey. And we've heard his voice in the promos. Everyone's sitting here thinking, I wonder what role Jim Carrey plays. Because we would have never thought that was Jim Carrey. I mean, when I first listened, I didn't really realize it was him because he has such a monotone voice to him. Oh, I knew it was Jim Carrey immediately. I've seen documentaries of him. I've seen many Jim Carrey movies. He's one of my favorite actors. As soon as I knew that Jim Carrey was going to be on this album, one, I knew he was going to be the narrator, and two, I knew it was going to kick ass, and it I mean, did. You, he started with the song Gasoline. That says it all. Gasoline is one hell of an opener. It really is. Okay, so I will just put it out there. The first half of the album and a couple songs in the second half, I was bopping to. I was dancing, especially Sacrifice. When Sacrifice comes on, I feel like I'm breaking out into song and dance. Like, I'm just so into that song. And then How Do I Make You Love Me has a phenomenal transition into Take My Breath, which is actually the extended edition on the album. Go on. Okay, that was it for that, that, that moment. So I was waiting for someone else to say something else about it. No, you're fine. And then you have the A Tale by Quincy right after Of Sacrifice. I personally loved the Quincy Jones interlude. I, I did loved, too. I love how he talks about regret and in the later stages of life and how your mistakes can haunt you, but only if you let them. One thing I want to talk about with this album that I actually mentioned to Austin today. If you sit here and you listen to the background noise of some of these out of some of these tracks and the intro to some of them or the outro to some of them, you hear lyrics from older songs of his. One of the most uh, prominent ones is actually in Don't Break My Heart. He starts off by saying, I'm paralyzed, which is actually a very prominent lyric in Until I Bleed Out. I can't off the top of my head say some of the other lyrics because I can't think of them, but whenever I listened to the album, I thought about that. And, you know, when you're in purgatory and when you go to die, you see your life flash before your eyes. So this is almost him reflecting on everything. This whole album is about him reflecting and then almost coming to terms with who he was and what he would do different. It had a much lighter feel than After Hours. It did. It feels much more ethereal, and that's why for a lot of the tracks on this album, there aren't a lot of driving drums to get you up and moving. There are for many of the tracks, but for a decent bulk of the album, it very much gives the vibe of floating. Now, I did have to listen to Dawn FM a couple, like, a second time before I really liked it, because... When I started listening to it, I'm thinking about After Hours, and you know, this is a completely different feel than After Hours. 
And at the same time, I was listening through my car speaker, so, you know, I had the road noise and all that, so I wasn't really giving it the full experience that, that I could have given it. And that was just because I like to hop onto listening to albums when they first come out. So um, then the second time I plugged in my headphones, and I was like, holy crap. Even songs like Best Friends, Starry Eyes, um, and then Out of Time, like even smaller songs like that, to me, were really good, and they pulled my attention. My top two songs are definitely Less Than Zero and Sacrifice. <laughs> I know, Austin, you and I were texting back today about Less Than Zero, just singing it back and forth. Yeah, it's safe to say we are both obsessed with that song. I have to say, I love Dawn FM, and I love listening to it, and I love how it sounds. My only issue with it is that the first half of the record follows the story pretty concisely, but in the second half, there are some tracks that feel like the old weekend it feels in a sense incongruent with the rest of the album i'm not saying that the songs are bad but it messes with the continuity of the story of the album because the first half of the album is dealing with the shame and regret that comes with getting older and passing away death in general but in the middle are all of these heartbreak songs you know, Starry Eyes, is there someone else, Best Friends, cool. I Heard You're Married. I feel like towards the end of the album, it starts to tie up. But for much of the album, I feel like towards the middle, it starts to get a little bit unfocused. Well, and see, here's my reasoning for that. Like I said, I think he's reflecting back on his past transgressions and what he would do differently. He, could, you're in purgatory. You're just You're just sitting there. You're waiting to find out heaven or hell in that moment he's just sitting there reflecting on what he knows best because like i said there's those lyrics throughout the album that you hear in the background and i think i've even heard a couple from starboy which is why i initially thought huh maybe starboy was the start of the trilogy it's possible but also not possible uh because he does have that connection to them so a lot of the songs on Don fm deal with uncertainty and that's why an absence of drums really reinforces that because there's not a consistent tempo driving throughout the record. There are certain points in time where the record really propels forward, but there are a lot of times where the autopilot's on and it's just in cruise control. Well, one thing I actually uh, really like about the album is the consistency of like, it's almost like a radio station that you're listening to because you got the 103.5 Dawn FM or even Every Angel is Terrifying. And then to close it out with Phantom Regret by Jim Carrey. Oh my gosh. Uh, talk about a song to make me cry at the end of the album. I know. It, like, it tied everything up with a very beautiful bow. I'm very excited to see where we go from here. Because, you know, we had the living state. Now we have the purgatory state. So next, obviously, would have to be afterlife. So I'm very curious on how he's going to do this. I'm kind of disappointed that the numbers aren't higher for this album. I feel that this album isn't getting the attention it deserves. No, because, I mean, it debuted number two on Billboard 200. Now, that is only because I uh, I forget what artist it was. Another artist released just a week prior, and everyone was all about him. But it had 148,000 album equivalent units, 173.4 million on-demand streams, and 14,000 sold copies. And then within by January 18th, it surpassed half a billion streams and then debuted number one on Apple and Spotify in 125 countries. But at the same time, in comparison to his other albums, it kind of was lower on the spectrum as far as numbers go, which, like you said, it's kind of disappointing to hear that because it was such a great album. 
kind of like how Donda was. I don't think people were ready for it. And it was also very unexpected, too. It was a very surprise drop. I don't think anybody expected this album to come out. Personally, from what I think of the weekend's patterns of releasing albums, the, the next one might come out in early to mid-2023. That's my prediction. Yeah, and then that will tie up the trilogy. Uh, I, I have full faith in them. If the second album of the trilogy was this good... I can only imagine what the closer is going to be like. After listening to After Hours and Dawn FM, my expectations are high. Oh, for sure. That being said, I would easily rate Dawn FM a 9 out of 10. Strong 9 out of 10. Personally, for me, I love so many of the songs on here. Less Than Zero, obviously, is my favorite. It's the climax of the whole album. To anybody who's listening... I urge you to listen to the whole album first in order rather than just skip to less than zero because it feels like the dessert at the end of your meal, but at like a fancy restaurant. I would rate Don FM a solid nine to a strong nine. It's one of my favorites, but I love Starboy so much. All right, Matt, what's your rate? I mean, I, I can't really rate stuff like because I've only listened to it end to end once, right? What did you think of it? Were there any songs that you really enjoyed? Anything that stuck um, out to you? One thing I really liked was Jim Carrey's bit. Because when you listen to it, that was very off-putting. But also at the same time, it was very... Okay, so one of my coworkers, he's not a huge weekend guy. But he said he loved Gasoline, right? Did he said he really liked it. And then he he said other people who are fans of The weekend said it sucked. And, I mean, it was good. But then again, I'm not a fan. Doesn't the album just make you want to get up and just dance? No. In fact, actually, no, it didn't. It just made me want to just sit there and just chillax. It didn't make me want to dance at all. All right, so rate it. Rate it? Probably solid four and a half or five. You serious? All right, that well, all that's right. your opinion. There again. It's, you're entitled to it. But no, Austin, um, didn't he have a interview with the Rolling Stones? And actually, I want you to say exactly what he said. So The weekend did a interview with Rolling Stone. I forget exactly how long ago it was, but it was his most recent one. And he was explaining that his goal as an artist at this point, now that he's reached number one multiple times, he wants to basically become a legend in his own right. He explained in the article, I had Michael Jackson and I had Prince growing up. The kids these days, they don't have Michael Jackson. They don't have Prince. I want to be that for them. I have to say, I think he's definitely hitting that. I would agree with the numbers that he's pulling and the creativity and the way that he's been able to chisel a solid spot in music these days. Absolutely. He is well on his way to legend status. All right. So now that all is said and done, we are going to say that the three mixtapes, we're going to call them the trilogy, starting with Austin. I want you to rank your top five in order of his work. Okay. This is going to be hard. I'm going to say... Starboy, Dawn FM, After Hours, Beauty Behind the Madness, and the trilogy. Okay. Matt, I want you to just at least pick two. At least pick two. In order from favorite to least favorite, right? Yeah. After Hours, Dawn FM, Starboy. Good pick. For me, it had to be After Hours, Starboy, Dawn FM, Beauty Behind the Madness, and then the trilogy. So that would be my top five. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. A little reminder that this is the halfway mark. 
Be sure to stay tuned for some banger content. We love you guys. We'll see you next time. Don't forget to follow our socials. Instagram, Colts and Swine Podcast. Twitter is Colts for Swine 22. See you later.